This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Apologies first if it sounds like I'm talking through my nose. I've got rotten cold that I've been trying to shake off and I'm hoping to shake it before our games come around. So here we are though. It's international time again. I can't believe that it has been, what, five months? Since England were last in action, you may remember we had Albania at home when we won 5-0 and then there was San Marino away (laughs) where we won 10-0. Seems such a long time ago now, November 2021. And here we are, five months on, March 2020. And people say that England play far too many games. Do you know what? In that time I make it, there has been... 178 Premier League games, 93 FA Cup games, a lot of championship games, League One, League Two games, of course. There's been a League Cup final, a Club World Cup final, lots of Champions League games, Europa League games. It's the other one as well, isn't there? Uh, There's been a transfer window, a winter break. Let's not go down that route of saying that internationals break the season up. (laughs) Anyway, got on that off my chest. Took me a little while to research that one. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, though. Uh, In amongst everything that has been going on of late, I hope the podcasts have given you some welcome relief. Uh, There was the 1962 World Cup look back with Brian Douglas. Loved that one. Loved meeting him. There was the England Sea preview where I spoke with manager Paul Fairclough. And both of those are still available via your podcast provider of choice. And don't forget that England C match takes place on the 30th of March, away to Wales. I've seen people are already beginning to receive their tickets for it. As I'm sure you're aware, we have Switzerland and the Ivory Coast coming up at Wembley very soon two friendlies and as this is the preview episode I'll be speaking with two people who know those two teams a little better than I do. There's also some news on some new Lionesses fixtures and a couple of other games that may tickle your fancy for non-league day. Don't forget the podcast can also be found on various social media channels Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Just search Three Lions Podcast. Now as always When there's a friendly match or two, comes with it a new squad from Gareth Southgate. One that he announced on Thursday the 17th of March. And I say a new squad, but I have to admit I'm a little perplexed that he hasn't introduced more than one new name. And I'll get on to him in a moment. These, at this moment in time, are our only friendlies that have been announced. After this, we've got six Nations League games until the World Cup, which starts in November. In my opinion, this would have been the ideal time to maybe shuffle things a little. Experiment if we're going to. 
If ever Ivan Tony was to get an opportunity, it'd be now. Fikiyara Tomori to get longer than the 30 minutes he got against San Marino, it'd be now. Maybe Leicester's Luke Thomas plays left back. Maybe time to make the switch from the under-21s to the senior squad. Maybe now. But it seems Gareth is happy to go with his tried and tested method. Despite some players being, shall we say, a little under par for their respective club sides. Anyway, he's the manager, I'm not. But he has chosen a squad of 25. And it is as follows. Goalkeepers, we've got three. Jordan Pickford, Nick Pope and Aaron Ramsdale. Defenders, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Connor Cody, Rhys James, Harry Maguire, Tyrone Mings, Luke Shaw, John Stones, Ben White. And that one new name, Mark Gui from Crystal Palace, who has made the step up from under-21 to the senior squad. Gui, incidentally, was born in the Ivory Coast. Would you believe it? Back in 2000. Uh, 13th of July 2000, which makes him 21. He has played through the youth levels for the national team for England. For the under-16s, he played nine times, under-17s, 21, under-18s, four times. Six caps for the under-19s, three for the under-20s, and 16 for the under-21s. So it seems only right that he should get his opportunity for the senior side. He has been playing well for Crystal Palace. That can't be denied. He's actually got... A medal whilst playing for England. He was part of the winning squad, the under-17s World Cup winning squad back in 2017 when England beat Spain in the World Cup, under-17s World Cup that was held in India back then. So fully deserves his call-up and yeah, maybe he will get that chance against the Ivory Coast, the place of his birth. And in a strange twist, he may come up against Wilfred Zaha. We'll talk more about him soon. Midfielders, let's move on to them. There are six of them. Jude Bellingham, Conor Gallagher of Crystal Palace, like Gui. Uh, he won his first cap against San Marino. Uh, Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount, Declan Rice and James Ward-Prowse. And up front, Tammy Abraham, who's been knocking them in for Roma of late. Phil Foden. Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, Bakaya Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe and Raheem Sterling. It is a squad with an average age of 24.8. It's got 554 caps across the board and 101 goals. It is a squad that's represented by four players from Arsenal, four from Manchester City, two from Liverpool, two from Chelsea, two from Manchester United, two from Crystal Palace. When was the last time that happened? Uh, And one from Everton, Burnley, Aston Villa, West Ham, Southampton, Borussia Dortmund, Roma, Spurs and Wolverhampton Wanderers. They are Gareth Southgate's 25 players. We shall see if I have to edit in a few players uh, in a uh, a few days' time after the weekend's fixtures. Uh, But incidentally, there are a few players who haven't made it. Uh, First of all, the injured players, Ben Chilwell of Chelsea, Kieran Trippier, who moved from Atletico Madrid to Newcastle United, and unfortunately, has he broke his foot or he's broke his leg? 
uh, unfortunately hasn't made it in. Jared Bowen, who's been having a great time at West Ham of late. Uh, unfortunately, I think he's just out of injury. And of course, as we know, Calvin Phillips is still also out injured, suffering from a hamstring injury. I think he sustained that back in December time. Although on the positive front for Leeds, he appears to be coming back from that soon. But some players that perhaps can count themselves a little bit unfortunate. We've already mentioned Luke Thomas of Leicester. Fikayo Tomori. Uh, yeah, Fikayo. AC Milan, a top of Serie A. And he hasn't made it in. I, I, I do feel a little sorry for him. He's got... He had half hour against San Marino, and I think he had a few minutes in a uh, a previous game. But you'd like to think he can add to his two caps at some stage. Uh, no Harvey Barnes. This is a strange one. No Marcus Rashford. Yes, granted, he hasn't had the best time of late for Manchester United. But the same could also be said of Harry Maguire. Leave that one with you. Jaden Sancho as well at Manchester United. Perhaps not had the uh, the best of times. Carl Walker hasn't made it in. Eric Dyer at Tottenham. He's been a regular there and has been a regular for Gareth in the past. Uh, and we've also mentioned Ivan Tony at Brentford. I must be honest though, Ivan Tony. a lot of people calling for him. I'm sceptical whether he could do it at top level, at senior level. I'd like to be proved wrong. But I'm not 100% sure he could do it. Anyhow, so that is our squad for our two friendly games. An Alzheimer's International against Switzerland on the 26th of March. It's a Saturday. And then the International against the Ivory Coast on a Tuesday, the 29th of March. Okay, here it is. Here's the the edit. I should really learn to record this once the the squad is actually finalised and all the players are contained within St George's Park. But no, this is the way I do it. The day after the squad was announced, Liverpool's Trent Alexander-Arnold withdrew following a hamstring injury. I've got to be honest, he's been unfortunate over the years when it's come to England, either not being selected by Gareth or being injured. Obviously, he missed the Euros when he was injured in the game against Austria. But in the past, he's been selected for, from what I can gather, a November 2020 squad, and he pulled out injured. And before that, March 2019, he pulled out with a back injury. We shall see what the state of play is when Liverpool get back into Premier League action once this international window is over. Then the following day, when Arsenal travelled to Aston Villa, it was revealed that Aaron Ramsdale, Arsenal's goalkeeper, was missing and then revealed he was suffering from a hip injury and he too would be missing for England, which is a shame as I was fairly confident he'd play a part and add to his cap he won against San Marino. But in fairness to him, he's got plenty of time on his side to add to that cap. And following that, Saw Reese James withdraw, which, to be fair to him, he'd missed a fair few Chelsea matches of late, so you got to at least question the wisdom of selecting him in the first place. Well, Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel certainly did. And then, really disappointingly, after scoring a brace in the Rome derby, 
the first English player to do so in a Roma-Lazio fixture since Gaza, Tammy Abraham withdrew, injured. Not 100% sure what the injury is though, but it's a great shame. He would have been on a real high two goals in that particular game. But with the withdrawals come four new players. Goalkeeper Sam Johnston of West Brom, Ollie Watkins of Aston Villa, both of those have been capped before. But also the addition of fullback Turek Mitchell of Crystal Palace, which takes Palace up to three players in the England squad. Has that happened before? I'm thinking Ian Wright, Mark Bright, Jeff Thomas. Did Mark Bright get a cap? I'm going to have to check that one. Um, and Southampton's Kyle Walker-Peters, who's been in great form of late and perhaps unlucky to have not been originally selected. And like Mark Gui, he has an England World Cup winner's medal, but for the under-20s from 2017. So from me saying on the day the squad was announced, this would have been an ideal time to experiment. Perhaps this is where Gareth's hand has been forced. But to just rejig those numbers, it is now a squad with an average age of 25.1. It now has 525 caps across it and 98 goals. Right, that's enough from me. Let's find out about our opponents. England's first game is against Switzerland. It's on Saturday the 26th of March. Very much looking forward to it and I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Oliver Seisiger from the Football Manager game where you are the co-head researcher for the for the Swiss department. Oliver, hello there. Hello Russell, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you're right, uh, Football Manager might be quite well known among your listeners. It possibly is, but I've got to be honest, it's not one of those, I'm not really much of a computer games person myself, I have to be honest. So um, just for my own benefit, maybe just explain a little bit about it for me, please. Yeah, I don't see it as a computer game. I see it as a real life simulator. Fair enough. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, Football Manager is the best selling uh, football management simulation, uh, or as, as uh, Russell said, a computer game where you can take over your favorite club or uh, any club that you want and then lead them to glory. The database is very deep and uh, you can produce or uh, construct your own tactics, your own playing style. You can uh, do your training, transfers, contracts, and so on and so forth. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And some for some people, it's a second job, like for me. Wow. So you, you obviously get to know the the ins and outs of of the swiss players then i guess from from your side of things yes and no um most of those players who are uh, called up to the national team play abroad so at one point in their careers i had it in my swiss database but uh, once they moved on they go to germany or to spain england wherever and then the uh, head researcher of that said country is uh, responsible for uh, taking them on 
Ah, I see. Well, that that's something that actually I'd I'd noticed with the the Swiss squad that was announced. A lot of the players, as you say, play for the Italian sides in Serie A or in the Bundesliga in in Germany. I was I was looking through it, thinking, are there more players that played in England? But I could only see there's there's two at the moment, and then being Fabian Schaar and Granite Xhaka of Arsenal, and of course Sheridan Shakiri who formerly played for Stoke and Liverpool over here, but not so many players maybe recognised in England. Probably, although uh, the Bundesliga has grown, at least in my bubble, um, among English people in recent times, so they might recognise one or two faces in the Swiss court as well. But yeah, you're right. It's uh, Grani Chaka who's uh, famously played or infamously playing for Arsenal. And... Uh, Fabian Scher, who is still at Newcastle, although contract is running out at the end of the season, if I'm not mistaken, so he might leave. And Sheridan Shakiri, who is now playing in MLS for Chicago Fire. Yeah. One thing on Xhaka, I noticed he's actually could well make the, the 100 cap mark for Switzerland. Yes, he could. And actually, if all goes well, he will do it against the Kosovo um, because his family was uh, born in Kosovo. Uh, he himself was born in Basel, but uh, his family comes from the Kosovo. And it would be, I think, uh, biggest, greatest feeling for him to uh, to fulfill those 100 caps uh, against Kosovo and Zurich later, this, uh, later next week. Yeah, no. Didn't I've, now you say that I I do remember there's there's a little connection there. It's nice how these little uh, little football twists come around. That if you could um, get that hundred cap um, against Kosovo would be nice little twist. And I'm actually looking really forward to this game because there will be probably a, a sold out stadium and a lot of Kosovans uh, Kosovars in in the crowd. And I think it will be a very uh, emotional game for everybody involved because there are so many Kosovan people in Switzerland uh, living here. And uh, there was also, like, I've heard some people talking about the game of love because the two cultures uh, respect each other. And uh, uh, as I said, a lot of Kosovans live in Switzerland after the Balkan War. So... uh, it should be a very emotional, emotional game. Yeah, well, I'll keep an eye out for the uh, for the score on that one when it comes round. Uh, but before that, obviously, Switzerland come to England. Just a little look back on previous meetings. the The history records show that the two sides have met twenty six times. England have won seventeen. There's been six draws. Uh, and three defeats uh, against Switzerland. That most recent game was was back in 2019 in the Nations League. It was the the third or fourth place was the losers game, as it were. It was hard work that one. Extra time and penalties in in the hot sun was the last time we met. You, you remember that one, do you? I do. Not for the game itself, but uh, for the debut of uh, Noel Kafor and for the penalty shootout, which. Uh, went the way most Swiss penalty shootouts went at the time. We did redeem ourselves against France at the Euros last year, so uh, uh, it has improved. But uh, yeah, um, I remember remember this game for not being very good, but probably also due to the heat. Yeah, well, you talk penalty shootouts. I seem to remember, obviously, after England had beaten Colombia in the World Cup and, and finally put to bed. England's penalty hoodoo. Uh, we we then had this penalty shootout with yourselves, where Jordan Pickford, 
I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, he, he saved a penalty and then scored a penalty, the goalkeeper. That's entirely possible. I might have erased that part from my brain. <laughs> you may well have done, may well have done. Switzerland coming to Wembley, what's what's the thoughts of Swiss fans ahead of the game about the whole team in general and, and the manager, Murat Yakin? Yeah, about Murat, uh, he has been greeted with a lot of love. I have to explain that uh, while Vladimir Petkovic, the former uh, uh, manager, was uh, very successful with the team, he was not very well liked uh, among the crowd because he's not a very good communicator. He kept to himself. Uh, he wasn't as open. And Murat did a 180 compared to uh, Petkovic and uh, was a man of the people from the beginning. And that the team is quite well liked. Uh, again, it's a multicultural team, so it speaks for all of or plays for all of Switzerland. Really, there are some French speakers in there. There are some with the African backgrounds. There are Swiss German speakers, even some Italian speakers in there. So uh, that's a very good representation of Switzerland. And uh, this team has surprised many by winning the group at uh, for the World Cup qualifying. I mean. By actually not losing to Italy twice, and um, by uh, at that uh, with that winning the group in front of Italy and uh, basically moving them to uh, to the World Cup playoffs, so they have a lot of credit with people. After uh, nobody expected us to win the group, and uh, I think that's uh, positive. Also. A lot of players are still quite young. There are some exciting young players. I already mentioned Noah Okafor. Ruben Vargas is another one who's a very exciting young player. And uh, there are some good players in the under-21s who might soon be uh, a national, nationals, uh, a, a, a internationals. This all, this mixture makes it a very exciting team for, uh, for the people to watch. I see. So things, feelings, I guess, are are quite positive looking, I guess, forwards, not just to the this, the Nations League in the summer, but also to the World Cup come November time, because obviously these these friendlies are, are here just to test out the players and just, I don't know if it's the case in Switzerland's case, that these are the last set of friendlies before competitive games take over before the World Cup. So this is your, a real chance to test out. Yeah, I wouldn't say test in case of in the case of Switzerland. I would say probably more about uh, the playing the same team, playing for team cohesion, um, mm. playing for teamwork, playing uh, to solidify some certain tactical styles. Because Murat Yakin likes to vary from game to game depending on the opponent. And as as I look at the squad, most of those players who were called up uh, are or were already part of the team when uh, they managed to qualify for the World Cup. So I don't think he's, Murat Yakin is going to experiment much with players. I, I think he's more about cohesion and uh, playing the best guys or the guys that uh, managed to qualify for Switzerland and uh, to have the best team available at the World Cup. I don't expect major experiments. Okay, fair enough. And And with the World Cup coming up, do you, expect Switzerland to to do well a farewell in it I think so I, I think so this team is coming I mean it's, I hate the term golden generation mm. I wouldn't use it for Switzerland but this is among the best teams I've seen in the last 30 years or since I watch right. football 
um, when it comes to the Swiss national team. And there is a good mixture of young, exciting players. Then there are older, not very old players. I mean, the oldest players probably Jan Sommer at age 32, 33. And uh, some are around their 30s and the rest of it are in, in the perfect age, uh, in peak footballing age or even uh, even below peak footballing age. So I would expect this to play a role. Um, I don't think we'll go, uh, we'll make it all the way through. That would be a little bit optimistic, mm. but we should at least make the round of the last 16s and hopefully then again, as, as we did uh, for the Euros, uh, make it to the quarterfinals. Sounds like a, a nice mix of, of ages and, and players that are, that are there for, for Yakin's selection. Is there any one player maybe that that you would suggest England fans to look out for at Wembley? Yeah, um, I hope he'll play. Uh, it's Noah Okafor. Um, he, for me, is a prototype player for the Premier League. He's that tall, strong, but still very fast winger or forward. And uh, he's currently playing for Red Bull Salzburg. He's doing very well this season, and he could well, very well, make the make the jump to the Bundesliga after this season. He is a, an exciting player. He's a good one-on-one player, but also if you send him deep, he's so quick, he's off. Um, so take a look at him. Take a look at his athleticism, at, a, at his technique, and also at his intelligence when running straight or when running deep or supporting teammates. This is one who may not be known to the general public, but to some um, football aficionados. And uh, I think he's well worth a look. There we go. You heard it here first. Maybe Harry Maguire, watch out, maybe. (laughs) He'll leave Maguire in the dust. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm... I'm not, not going to say anything there, but yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> better not, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, just one thing that England fans may remember. The last time that Switzerland came to Wembley, of course, England have played Switzerland, so we say in Portugal. They also played at Leicester before the, before the World Cup, I believe it was. But 2015 was the last time Switzerland came to Wembley, and it was a, a special day where Wayne Rooney... Uh, scored from the penalty spot to become the all-time England record goal scorer with his 50th goal that day. England won two 0 What would you uh, What would you think a, a scoreline would be this for this game? As it is a friendly, I think it's uh, much more important uh, about uh, for team cohesion. And I believe that you had an excellent Euros. You're clearly the favourite, but I think we can snatch a draw. So I, I go with a one-one because. Both sides will be experimenting, not necessarily with the call-ups, but with the substitutions and give some players some minutes here and there. And I think I'm go- going for a 1-1. Lovely. Yeah. No, it's it's one of those games, as you say, it's for the result. Whilst it, the result always matters, it doesn't matter as much. It's it's more when the uh, when the actual competitive games come around, come Nations League or or World Cup, that's when it really matters. Yeah, exactly. And this is a good opportunity to play against a very strong side for us. And uh, we should use it, but also we should give some some guys some some minutes at Wembley, which is certainly also a special feeling for them. Um, I'm sure it will be. Oliver, thank you very much for, for joining us and just giving us a little insight into the into the Switzerland side. 
if people want to follow you on social media, are you open to to giving out your details there? Yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Oliver Seziger, or at A-U-L-I-T underscore Z, or uh, just for general chat about Swiss football in general, or football manager. Yeah, I'm open to talk uh, to a lot of people, so uh, feel free to follow. Lovely. I'm sure we've got a, a few football manager fans who are, who are tuning in. Thank you very much, Russell. Cheers. My thanks go to Oliver there for his time. As he mentioned, he can be found on Twitter should you want to give him a follow. And I've linked to him through the Three Lions podcast account. Check the pinned tweet. You'll see it there. But before we move on, something I'd like to bring to your attention, and it relates to the Switzerland game. On 60 Minutes, supporters are being encouraged to clap to remember England fan Kevin Norman as a show of acknowledgement for a fellow supporter who passed away whilst following England last November when he was on his way to the San Marino game. Kevin, a Watford supporter, hadn't missed an England match since the 1990s. He was 60 years old. So please, if you are at the Switzerland game, please join in and clap for Kevin. And credit to Block 109 for this idea. Now let's move on to the Ivory Coast match, which takes place three days later on Tuesday the 29th of March. How's your football knowledge? Now you'll probably be aware of plenty of Ivorian players who have graced the Premier League over the years. Didier Zakora, who played for Tottenham, he is the Ivory Coast most capped player. The Torre brothers, Colo and Yaya, Arsenal, Manchester City and Liverpool fans will all know those. Solomon Kalou was at Chelsea, as was Didier Drogba, Les Elephants' all-time top scorer. And Arsenal fans probably won't want to be reminded of Jovino or Emmanuel Eboué. But there we go. Uh, as I say, how is your football knowledge? Who was the first Ivorian to play in the Premier League? I'll let you know the answer after we've spoken with our guest from the Ivory Coast. Now, it's my pleasure to welcome African football journalist Mamadou Gay, uh, who joins us from South Africa, but is Ivorian by birth. Mamadou, hello there. Hello, Russell, and hello to all your listeners. Thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to to join us on on what will be a a historic game, won't it? Uh, definitely, because this will be the first time in uh, history that uh, the two senior national team will be meeting for the first time between uh, England and uh, Ivory Coast. That's right. Now, one thing I, I want to clarify, how should we refer to the Ivory Coast? Is it the Ivory Coast or the Côte d'Ivoire? Côte d'Ivoire, our late president, Félix Oufouet-Boigny, came out to say we should not be translating the name of the country because uh, in French, it's Côte d'Ivoire, 
meaning in English, Ivory Coast. But uh, since he passed away, people are free now to say Ivory Coast or Côte d'Ivoire. I understand. So you'd be happy if I, I use either? Yes, of course. Why not? Okay. I just, I didn't want to offend, and, and I'm sure many England fans would not want to, uh, to offend as well. Regards to the football, obviously, we, we've just established there, this is the first match between the two nations. But recently, obviously, there's been the, the African Cup of Nations, where the Ivory Coast lost out to Egypt in the round of 16. How was that felt? Over there, of course, it was felt uh, very badly. But most people, especially myself, saw it coming because the situation in uh, Ivory Coast at the moment is we don't have a football federation. We have a normalization committee in place, put up by FIFA. For me, in a illegal way as a result of the failed election where Didier Drogba took part. Didier Drogba could not meet the requirements, especially the endorsement, the sponsorship required by uh, having uh, a certain number of clubs and a certain number of uh, associations endorsing you. Since FIFA was strongly supporting and backing Didier Drogba, they just jumped in and decided not only to cancel the election, but uh, to disband the Football Federation and put a normalization committee. And uh, the woman at the, not, at the helm of the normalization committee, Dao Gabala, told me clearly that uh, in her entire life, she never been into a stadium. Now, imagine people totally ignorant of uh, football administration of matters running and preparing the national team for AFCON. As a result also, that's how we failed at the Olympic with our uh, national team there because the preparation was harsh and very poor. The same also with uh, the elephant prior to the AFCON in Cameroon. Wow. I I wasn't aware of all of this. Is this affecting the team then? It's definitely affecting the team. Even uh, during the World Cup qualifiers, many players came out uh, openly to criticise the normalisation committee and to express their unhappiness, the way things have been handled and the way things are running within the national team. So looking forward to to next year, aren't the Ivory Coast due to be holding at the next AFCON? Yes, and uh, this is a big problem because at the moment we don't have an FA. Now the politicians are pushing for this normalisation to end. The election was supposed to take place on the 23rd of March again postponed by FIFA, just because once again, the legend Didier Drogba could not meet the requirement. 
because one of the requirement was to get at least three clubs from the top flight uh, sponsoring you or endorsing you. Didier Drogba managed to get only one. Then FIFA jumped in again and uh, say that they must go into a new general assembly. Now, to make it simple, what you need is just five endorsements. It doesn't need to be categorized by top flight, first division, second division, or third division. Now you only need five clubs out of the 81 that will be voting. Now they will go on the 5th of March into a general assembly and on the 20th, sorry, on the 5th of April into a new general assembly. And on the 26th of April, uh, hopefully the election will take place. That is the date set for the election. And hopefully from there, we will have a proper elected uh, executive committee that will be able to handle properly the affairs of football and of course, prepare properly for AFCON 2023, which I even believe will be postponed to 2024. I see. But are you feeling positive, though? Do you feel that uh, Didier Drogba can get these five requirements, the five teams? No, I think he will get now the five uh, uh, team or club that will endorse his candidature. But one thing I can tell you, Uh, there is no way he will win the election. The reason is simple. Didier Drogba retired from football in 2014. Then from 2014 to 2019, Didier Drogba did not watch or attend one Ivory Coast national team game. He did not attend one league game in the country. He doesn't even know the club owners. Then On which basis do you hope to get elected? Election, it's about lobbying, talking to people. Didier Drogba hardly lives in Cote d'Ivoire. He spends most of his time in Europe. And as a matter of fact, uh, to announce his candidature, he did not do it in Ivory Coast, but he did it in France, which was also a big shock to the Ivory Coast media. You see, there is a lot of things playing against him. I understand. But, I mean, back when Drogba was playing football for not just Chelsea, but obviously for for the national team as well, he was seen as a hero. Perhaps not so now? He was seen as a hero. But the matter of fact is Didier Drogba did not win anything with Ivory Coast. He was a hero in Chelsea, not with Ivory Coast. He did not win a single trophy with Ivory Coast. That's the matter of fact. The fact when Drogba left the national team in 2014, in 2015, Ivory Coast won its second nation cup in Africa. That's telling you a lot of story. That's big volume for you. So this is an education to me. I, I wasn't aware of this. But let, let's move on to to the game against England, which is coming up. Over the years, there's been a lot of players that have come from the Ivory Coast. Obviously, we've just mentioned Didier Drogba there. Uh, but there's plenty of players who who are currently in the squad that may well play at Wembley. There's the likes of 
Eric Bailey at Manchester United, Willie Bowley at Wolves. Who else we've got? Hassan Kamara at Watford. Wilfred Zaha at Crystal Palace, and, and we'll get on to him in a moment. Uh, it's obviously Nicola Pepe at Arsenal. We, we're aware of those players, but are there any other players who play outside of the Premier League that we should be aware of, that we should look at? Look, the big talk at the moment in Ivory Coast is about Mark Gay. That was just called uh, in the England squad, born in Ivory Coast. Yes. That's the big talk because in Ivory Coast now, it's in all the media, all the news saying that Ivory Coast lost out to England to such a wonderful players. And everybody is blaming the coach. They are blaming each other for not calling uh, Margay long time ago into the Ivory Coast national squad. But obviously, if you look at the entire uh, selection of Ivory Coast, all the players called up uh, by coach Bommel, uh, you have uh, uh, Frank Kessier, for example, playing in Italy. You have uh, the entire squad playing in Europe. Only one or two players are playing the goalkeeper and one of the striker, Karim, playing in in uh, Ivory Coast. It's a European-based players. Then uh, I think uh, they will be familiar uh, with playing in uh, Wembley against uh, England. Then, uh, But the only uh, worry people have is the division in the squad at the moment. And uh, since we were kicked out uh, in the AFCON by Egypt, the majority of Ivorian are calling for the head of uh, Patrick Bommel. They want Patrick Bommel to go, to be fired. Now, when you have a coach which is unstable, he doesn't know if he's going to stay or it's going to go, it's difficult. But probably after the election, when the new executive committee comes in, they will take the decision and follow the uh, wish of the majority of Ivorian that are calling for the departure of Patrick Bommel. I think all these things are going to play out probably against Ivory Coast, uh, playing uh, English team, that is composed, that is uh, performing very well, that is uh, a very strong side at the moment in Europe. You can see it. And uh, I think it's going to be very difficult. But sometimes in this kind of friendly, it's about the pride. Now, when you have all these boys playing in England, they could motivate their teammates and uh, push them to make sure that they get a result against England, which will be something good. Sometimes the team can be a little bit in a disarray, but uh, they can come together, just play for pride and uh, for themselves, especially many of them are playing in England and they would like to prove a point. Yeah, I imagine it's going to be a very entertaining game and, and they may well come together and, and prove that point. It's going to be interesting. You mentioned Mark Gway there, who was born in the Ivory Coast. Same could be said of, of Wilfred Zaha, 
who played twice for England. He played against Sweden and Scotland for England and then transferred, as it were, uh, his allegiance to the Ivory Coast. How is he felt about over there? There was a lot of controversy with uh, Wilfried Zaha because, uh, for example, during the qualifiers, he will pick games. And at a certain point that he even refused to come and play for the national team, giving an excuse that every time he comes and joins the national team, when he goes back to England, he's sick. Then many Ivorians were very upset and annoyed about it. For example, the last qualifiers of Ivory Coast for even uh, the World Cup, he was not there. Now, suddenly, when we qualify for the AFCON, he evolved himself. And many people were saying that Bommel should not pick him. Even it was Bommel who came out and exposed him to say, Wilfried Zaha told him that every time he come and play for the national team, his sick is no longer coming. But the minute we qualify for AFCON, he changed his mind. He wanted to play for AFCON. And most Ivorians were divided about should we allow Wilfried to come or not? But at the end of the day, he was with the team. But uh, you see, those are the things, and it really leave a bitter test with uh, most Ivorian fans regarding Wilfried Zaha. And I think in order for him to redeem himself, it's a game, for example, like England, he must prove a point by why not scoring goal and why not uh, being the man of the match in order to win the heart of millions of Ivorian fans once again. Yeah, this could be his chance at Wembley. We've, we've mentioned Wilfred Zaha there. There's a connection between the two countries. Another connection is a former manager of both you remember Sven Goran Eriksson was in charge of England and he was also in charge yes. of the national team of the Ivory Coast at, at the 2010 World Cup, wasn't he? For sure, for sure. He was uh, at the helm of Ivory Coast, but unfortunately uh, we were kicked out uh, in South Africa where I am at the moment. Uh, I attended that game even though I was doing also some of the commentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it was a disaster. That was uh, our second World Cup. And uh, for the second time in 2010, with Ericsson, we failed to make it to the second round. Then uh, his uh, tenure as an Ivory Coast uh, coach was not a success at all. Oh, dear. <laughs> now, one thing that is was quite interesting when I was doing a little bit of research, and it's it's quite apt at this moment in time. Uh, a country like the Ivory Coast has had a bit of a, a checkered past. I didn't realise that back in 2007, unfortunately, there was it was a, a civil war taking place. And but the fact that when the national team qualified for the first World Cup in 2006, apparently there was a a temporary truce and and all fighting stopped. Is that true? 
It's true, not only in Ivory Coast, but in the entire continent of Africa. I mean, football is like a religion. Football is a passion. People love their football. Let me tell you, people are crazy about the game in the entire Africa. When uh, Ivory Coast used to play, even before qualifying, all the soldiers on both sides will just lay down their arms and watch the game for 90 minutes across the country. And uh, it's true today in Cameroon, in Nigeria, everywhere where you have this civil strife, where you have these terrorist activities, even the so-called jihadists or terrorists will lay down their arms and watch the game. Then this phenomena is not only in Ivory Coast, it's through the entire continent of Africa. When football game is taking place, especially when the national team is playing, the whole country is on standstill everywhere. And believe me, this game against England, kickoff, you will not see a fly in the street of Abidjan. Everybody will be scorched in the front of their TV set to make sure that they don't miss a single minute or second of the action. That's how people are passionate. That's how people love Africa. To the point that all the African politicians have realized that. That's why most of them also use football as a political tool. Yeah. And today, the, the governments are the biggest bankrollers of African football. It's not the private sector. It's not any sponsor. Like the game against England, the government of Ivory Coast will be the one paying the air ticket, will be the one paying accommodation, will be the one even paying for the bonuses because they know how important it is to the entire people of Ivory Coast. I expect that there'll be a high percentage of of nationals living here in England who'll also be attending the game that will be making a, a good support and making good noise at Wembley. Definitely, not only in England, but they will come across Europe, believe me. They will come in numbers from France, from Belgium, from Italy. Anywhere in Europe you have uh, Ivorian, they will flock into Wembley. Believe me, even some will fly out of Ivory Coast to go and attend that game. That's how uh, football is important. And that is the magic of football, bringing people together. Doesn't matter which political party they belong to, what tribe or what religion, but in that day they will come as one. Absolutely. I think that's a a great way to round it up. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the game, really looking forward to seeing patches of orange in the stands at Wembley. Um, Mamadou, thank you very much for your time. Are Are you on Twitter? Can people follow you on Twitter? Yes, I am on Twitter at Real Mamadou Guy. I will. Uh, I'll link to that so people can can seek you out and uh, and see what else you're up to. Mamadou, thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. My thanks go to Mamadou Gay there for his time. You can find him on Twitter, just like Oliver, who we spoke to about Switzerland. He is at Real Mamadou Gay, and you can find that linked on the Three Lions podcast Twitter account. Check the pinned tweet. Now, before we spoke with him, I asked you a little question. I asked you if you knew who the first Ivorian to play in the Premier League was. It was a short-lived spell, but it was Everton's Ibrahima Bakayoko back in 1998. And if I remember correctly, he was partial to a gymnastic-like goal celebration. And I'm sure it's quite obvious to you, but perhaps maybe not to everyone. But the Ivory Coast, as we've already mentioned, is known as Les Elephants because the elephant is the national animal of the country. And the ivory named after the colour of the tusk. Every day is a school day. And I also mentioned a couple of other items that you might be interested in. The England women, their friendly fixtures. They've announced a couple more following the Arnold Cup victory in February. Two more friendly fixtures to be played just before the summer's European Championships when they begin here in this country. On Thursday the 16th of June, they will play Belgium at Molyneux in Wolverhampton, of course. And then the Netherlands at Elland Road on Friday the 24th of June. And that will be the first time since 1983 that the women have played in Leeds. And of course, a fixture against the Netherlands will bring Serena Weigman back against her motherland. But before then, they've got two away fixtures, both World Cup qualifiers, uh, away to North Macedonia on the 8th of April and Northern Ireland on the 12th of April. And also worth a mention, I think, Saturday the 26th of March, the day we face Switzerland, is actually non-league day. It's a day set aside when there are no Premier League or Championship fixtures. It's a day to celebrate non-league football. And it's an ideal opportunity for those lower-level clubs to boost their attendances and just showcase non-league football. I've been advised that Harrow Borough have moved their fixture with Merthyr Town to a 2pm kickoff, And if you've got an England ticket, you'll get half-price admission. And by all accounts, it's a 20-minute train journey to Wembley Stadium. Uh, there's also Wembley versus North Greenford United. That's a 3 o'clock kickoff. Looking at Google Maps, it's a 13-minute train journey from Vale Farm, Wembley, to Wembley Stadium. Edgware Town, they play Hollyport in the Cherry Red Records Combined Counties Football League. Again, it's a 3 o'clock KO. And it's about three miles between Silver Jubilee Park and Wembley Stadium. I think Silver Jubilee Park is also where Hendon play. Do they share grounds there? Rotate them? Not 100% sure. And Wealdstone in the National League. They're at home to Bromley. Again, this is a three o'clock. And again, looking at Google Maps, it's half hour by train from Grosvenor Vale to Wembley Stadium. 
So you might have to get a wriggle on there if you want to see both. Maybe just cut the end off of the Wildstone game and maybe miss the first couple of minutes of the England game. Not sure, but it might be tight if you're going for that one. But it is something I thought is worth a mention, non-league day. Many thanks go to Oliver Zeisiger and Mamadou Gay for their time in helping me with this episode. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you as always for tuning in. Always good to hear from you. You can get in touch via social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or by email. Podcast at gmail.com And the show is also on YouTube. And if you're listening by iTunes, a review, always appreciated. And with this being the preview episode means we'll have a review episode too, where I'll be joined by one of our regular England correspondents to have a chat about the games. And if you're going to either or both of the games, enjoy it, especially if it's perhaps your first England game, your first trip to Wembley. I know, there are still some people out there. And also don't forget the England Sea game on the 30th of March. And also coming your way in April... Hopefully a chat with Paul Fairclough looking back on that game. And we'll also have the next in our World Cup series, when football really did come home. I hope you can join me for them. So until then, look after yourself. Cheers. Cheers.